Good morning, good friends. It's nine minutes after five o'clock on this Saturday morning, and it looks like another very nice fall day that we're going to have. As a matter of fact, it may last through most of the weekend. We'll be talking about weather, but the, the big weather impact as far as agriculture is concerned, the combines are rolling, and uh, hopefully the harvest will go well and safe for you in your fields as we begin the work of uh, harvesting your hard work ever since spring and the planting of the crop. So far, looking like a pretty good crop, but as I always say, it's not a crop until it's in the bin. And as I found out this week, looking at some of these statistics from the derecho that we had about a month ago, in Iowa alone, 57 grain bins were destroyed or damaged, which means that the crop that'll be harvested this year may not have an indoor home if we aren't able to get those grain bins fixed. 57 million bushel capacity uh, taken out because of the uh, derecho and the high winds that not only flattened grain bins, but also flattened a lot of cornfields, making the harvest even more challenging to get the flattened corn back upright to the point where the combines can do the harvesting. But at any rate, we will survive. And every morning now, instead of looking at markets and that sort of thing, as I take a look at our Reuters computer news service, first thing I see this morning, Minnesota, Oregon, and Utah report a record one-day increase in new COVID-19 cases yesterday. And uh, we also take a look at the worldwide numbers on the coronavirus situation, and uh, those numbers keep increasing around the world. Southeast Asia particularly showing the increases uh, on a daily basis and uh, still waiting for that vaccine to come into play and to be proven that it will work before we uh, can say we may be out of this. But coronavirus cases topped 7 million, accounting for more than 20% of the world's total. And Florida lifted all restrictions on businesses, including restaurants and bars, saying the threat of the pandemic had eased sufficiently. Canada, meanwhile, two most populous provinces, moved to clamp down further on social gatherings. And then when you take a look at the Asia-Pacific situation, China's annual production capacity of vaccines expected to reach 610 million doses by the end of the year. Japan will allow long-term foreign residents and foreign students back into the country from October. South Korea said it would impose tighter restrictions during the autumn holiday weeks when people traditionally reunite with farmers. And Indonesia reported its biggest daily rise in infections for a third successive day. 
as I say, what a different time we're in when uh, we previously at this time of the morning would be talking about how many cattle and hogs had arrived at the Union stockyards in Chicago and what the grain prices were at the Board of Trade and livestock futures prices at the Mercantile Exchange. That's what we used to start our days with here on WGN Radio, but uh, anymore we take a look at uh, the situation on the numbers with the pandemic. We're at uh, 13 minutes after 5 o'clock, and of course Jim Fazell standing by. But we're getting to the end of that season as well. But I know he has some interesting things to talk about, such as the apple crop in the Kickapoo Valley, my beloved Kickapoo Valley in western Wisconsin. And we're going to check in on the apple crop up there and the activity. And, of course, we still have a lot of farmers' markets that are open Every day, and if not every day, certainly on the weekends. And uh, I know our farmer's market here in Huntley, Illinois, is reaching the end of the season. But uh, we do have some good produce still out there. And the one thing that I keep reminding you, if you're going to a farmer's market, be sure you know what protocols are in place as far as touching the products or one of the things that you ought not do, and I see this at uh, time again, don't pull the husks back on the sweet corn. Leave those husks closed because pulling them back is not going to tell you a lot about how good the sweet corn is going to be. But if you pull the husks back, that begins to uh, mature the ears of sweet corn to the point where they start to get a little mushy. So follow the rules, follow the protocols for going to the farmer's markets and the roadside stands, and uh, please follow the rules. That's all I can ask. Okay, we're at uh, quarter past five o'clock, and Jim Fazell is standing by to talk about uh, an ending gardening season, and we'll join him when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Not too many more weeks we can say it's Jim Fazell time here on the Saturday morning show, but as long as we can, we'll do it. Because with this kind of weather, uh, what's going on with the crops that are waiting to be harvested and enjoyed at the farmer's markets and all of the other places where we can get fresh, good produce, Jim? Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. Incidentally, you know, we went up to the Kickapoo this past week uh, to get apples, ostensibly. That's what we go up there for. But but uh, we drove around and looked at what was going on up there. You know, that's such a gorgeous part of the world up there in in uh, the small towns. We we were at uh, at Boscobel and over to Seneca, Gaze Mills, Mount Sterling. We didn't get up as far as Westby, but, you know, the color's changing. In fact, the couple of days that we were up there, we noticed how the trees are increasingly coloring uh, very quickly at this time of year, especially up there in, uh, in the area where we have a lot of maple trees and so forth right. coloring up beautifully. Also, well, we good. were... We were noticing the apple crops up there. Uh, we paid particular attention to that. Uh, the apple crop is stupendous. Uh, and, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, maybe I mentioned it to you that uh, the weather up there for the summer was so good that they didn't have the summer storms that usually thin the apple trees. So some varieties that they rely on for thinning, like the Cortland, never got thinned. 
So they have tremendous crops, tremendous numbers, but the apples are smaller. The quality is wonderful, but they're a lot smaller than what they would have expected. Not much you can do about that. When you've got six or eight apples on a branch instead of four, uh, it's going to take the energy from that branch just to do it. But if you want apples, they've got them, and there are apples all over the the Midwest in just tremendous amounts and wonderful, wonderful quality. Glad of it. Now, one of the things that uh, that you and I wanted to talk about today was visiting the pumpkin farms, or as we used to call them, the roadside stands. Um, we are, again, blessed with a tremendous abundance. You know, our farmers work hard. Uh, they risk everything they have every year to produce a crop. And most of the time, with a few exceptions, we get wonderful crops. So we are in, in the midst of one of these right now. So we need to take advantage of it. And even if you didn't get the best garden uh, this year because of various factors like maybe the drought and so forth, farmers have really done a good job of it. So you need to visit the, the roadside stands or the pumpkin farms at this time of year. This is really the right time to do it. You can stock up for winter or just get some stuff that you need, incidentally, um, because in the next couple of weeks, that's going to be just about your last chance this year. It'll be over with. Tomatoes. Most of us uh, try to grow tomatoes. Most of us do pretty well with that. We haven't really had a killing frost yet, so there are plenty of them out in the fields. You can go out to the to the uh, tomato to the pumpkin farms or the roadside stands because uh, they have a lot of tomatoes in really good quality as well. One of the things that happens uh, uh, when we have a drought period is that the produce out in the field stays dry, so you have a lot less problem with deterioration. Uh, you don't have tomatoes that rot or pumpkins that rot in the field because the ground is dry and they sit on there and they're just as, as nicely at home there as they would be if you had already picked them. So you can get tomatoes. Now, there are some pick-your-own tomato farms that are allowing people out into the fields to pick. There are some that are not, so you need to check with where you're going to go and make sure what their protocol happens to be. But, you know, if you get a lot of tomatoes, even if you get a half bushel or bushel of them, you can take them home and get into the freezing or canning uh, mode, and you can make uh, uh, put these up so that when that first nice cold day of winter comes along, you're going to have tomatoes to make some great chili or spaghetti sauce. We always look forward to that. Another one that can be picked right now or gotten right now and kept over very easily is the pepper. The green peppers or the colored peppers uh, can be easily diced up and frozen on a cookie sheet and then stored in plastic bags in amounts that you can use in your spaghetti sauce or whatever you use them for. Another thing that we don't think too much about uh, in this part of the country, but a lot of people, a lot of us still do, we store potatoes and onions. The, these keep very well in a cool, dry basement, and you can get them by 10-pound bags, 50-pound bags, 100-pound bags if you're that, if that, that ambitious. But they're available at these roadside stands as well. Then we want to talk about pumpkins just just a little bit because these are being featured at the farms right now and the crop is good i mentioned about the dry weather that makes it for a good quality pumpkin crop and there are a lot to choose from also the the hot weather that we've had and are having right now hardens these gourds off so that they keep very well now, the pumpkins that you can get are either the summer squash, and actually pumpkins are all squash, or the winter squash. The summer squash types are the ones like the jack-o'-lanterns and the pie pumpkins and so forth. Um, these are the ones we get for Halloween. Now, these summer squash 
can be eaten right away. They do not store very well, although there are some of them that do. But the winter squash, if you're going to do storing of squash, winter squash work very well. Uh, the Hubbard squash, incidentally, Hubbard squash, it's a big, ugly thing, and they're heavy and they're hard to carry around. But these keep remarkably well. And they'll keep six, eight, ten months in the basement in a in a cool, dry place. And uh, something that uh, that we've discovered in the past is that Hubbard squash the the meat of this is a lot finer and a lot smoother than the pumpkins it makes wonderful pumpkin pie hubbard squash so if you're looking for something that's really spectacular to make pumpkin pies that's the one to do it now acorn squash we use acorn squash as a summer squash using it immediately but if you find uh, somebody that has a good supply of them, pick out the ones that have good orange color on the outside on the lower part of the squash and are good deep green these will keep most of the winter as well there are others like butternut squash, turban, and so forth that keep very nicely, can be kept for the winter. Uh, incidentally, if you're going to make a pumpkin pie, um, go ahead and make pumpkin pie or pumpkin soup. But call Orion and me when they're ready because we'll be glad yeah, to come right. over and help, help you test it out. <laughs> be happy to, yes. You bet. Uh, some of the other items that you might find at at the roadside stands. Bigger roadside stands have other attractions like haunted houses, pony rides, petting zoos. You know, I thought with the disease out there that this would would put a crimp in the style of some of these places. But I've been watching the ads in the paper and some of the mailers that we get. Most of them are open. They have a little bit of uh, uh, a protocol, as I mentioned before, where you do have to wear a mask in certain areas and and, uh, maintain your distancing. But almost all of these have their regular attractions operating right now. A lot of these are things for Halloween. So we've got three or four weeks before that that uh, will take place and will shut everything down. Also, another thing that I like about these pumpkin farms, um, the cider and donuts. Yes. <laughs> have sit-down places where you can have a, a cup of cider and a, and a cider mill donut. So you need to check out the protocols and, and make sure that you have your mask when you go out to these events. And whether you participate in Halloween or, or whatever, uh, you can get a lot of things out at the roadside stands that don't have anything to do with that, like the straw for your mulching, uh, rose cones, tree wrap. Even a lot of them have the spring flowering bulbs that you can get. So get out and enjoy these places. Uh, they're a relic of the past, a lot of them. We had a lot of little, small roadside stands around this part of the country many years ago. A few of them are left. They're bigger, but they still set out the best produce that you can get. It's fresh, newly picked, right there on the site, so you know you're going to get the best that there is. So anyway, that's a good idea to, to go out. But if you can't get there, go to your community farm market because they're still going strong, and you can get good produce there as well. And we'll talk about that maybe in another another couple of weeks. Yes, because we're very lucky. You know, we live in Huntley. It's Sun City in Huntley, and we've got Tom's Market not too far away. We've got the Gobert Farms where we, we used to do Pumpkin Fest on WGN Radio. That's so right. uh, we're surrounded by some very good uh, stands that and many of them are permanent, but uh, there are also the roadside stands, as you mentioned. So uh, I second your motion. Get out there and get some of this fresh produce before it goes away. And we've got about, what, another week or two that we can spend time together here, Jim? Well, I think we'll go through uh, the month of October, which has, what, four or five Saturdays in it, so You're right. you know, we got a few weeks left, and that'll be the the end of it for the year. And then we'll be back next year to 
share the Jim Fazell knowledge on gardening and everything else. But always a pleasure to talk to Jim, who is with us here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at 28 minutes after 5 o'clock on this Saturday morning. The sun getting ready to make its appearance. Temperature-wise, pretty comfortable. My weather gauge here on uh, the patio in Huntley outside my studio is 62 degrees right now on my thermometer. And uh, we're in for a fairly warm day again, which is nice this late in the season. You can get out and enjoy the weather and enjoy everything else that's going on because there are still uh, some celebrations for various commodities. It's uh, National Alpaca Days this weekend. You can go out and visit an alpaca farm in your community and see what is really an interesting and popular animal with more farmers here in the uh, U.S. So a lot going on, a lot of opportunity here on the station that I've called home now for 60 years, WGN Radio Chicago. It is 25 minutes before 6 o'clock here on Saturday morning, the start of another beautiful fall day here in the Midwest and in several other parts of the country. I don't think we have any tornadoes or any uh, hurricanes on schedule on the weather map at the moment at least, but we've certainly had an active hurricane season. But I hope not this weekend so that we can get out, enjoy the fall colors, enjoy the food stands and the farmer's markets and the roadside stands that we have throughout the Midwest and enjoy the products that uh, farmers are out right now in the field picking to get into the farmer's markets for this Saturday uh, production. But here on the Saturday morning show, we continue with Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and I'll be sharing some thoughts with you because it's um, finally happened. A week ago on Samuelson Says, I talked about National Farm Safety and Health Week. And among the harvest time dangers I talked about was combine fires. Well, guess what? It happened. And here is the story. A farmer near Crosby, North Dakota, was out harvesting his wheat and canola crops when his combine caught on fire. And while putting out the fire, the farmer suffered a heart attack, was rushed to the hospital with his crops unharvested. But not for long. About 60 neighbors, friends, and family got together quickly and with their machinery, using 11 combines, 6 grain carts, and 15 tractor trailers, they harvested 1,000 acres in 7 hours. That took away the loss of unharvested crops and the financial problem that would bring to the farmer who suffered the fire on his combine. But after being flown to a hospital in Minot, North Dakota, the farmer is in stable condition, but his family says he has a long, slow road to recovery ahead. 
But that is a feel-good story that happens frequently in farm country and in rural America. Neighbors helping neighbors. A feel-good story that we all like to share, particularly when it comes out as successfully as this one has so far. So to those neighbors who came to their neighbor and friend help, thank you for sharing the story with me from Minot, North Dakota. And whether it's National Farm Safety and Health Week or not, regardless of the week or the day, you be safe and be careful. And tell me more about the feel-good stories of farmers helping their neighbors out of a difficult situation. But thankfully, this story ended with a positive finish because there was nobody who was killed. But thanks again to farmers and their families for doing what they do to help neighbors when they run into difficult challenges. That's what happens in rural America. Thank you. Be safe and be well. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Nexstar Media Group at 21 minutes before 6 o'clock here on WGN Radio Chicago. And uh, it's been quite a week for me because of the announcement that I made this week. And I'll not spend a lot of time on that. But uh, let me just, uh, for those of you that didn't hear the announcement, I will be retiring on the 31st of December. I'll no longer be spending the Saturday mornings with you and the rest of the week with the market reports. And uh, your response has been overwhelming. And thank you for the kind words I've received. I'm not going to have time to personally respond to all of your emails. But yes, I heard from people all over the country saying, what? You're going to quit? You're going to quit talking about agriculture. I'll never stop talking about agriculture, our most basic industry here in this country and in the world. But, yeah, I'll stop doing it uh, professionally, at least, because it was 60 years ago this month that uh, I was working in Green Bay, Wisconsin, at WBAY Radio and Television, and uh, the invitation came from Ward Qual to uh, be the farm director for WGN Radio Chicago after Norm Kraft, who was the farm director, resigned on the air. And Ward's feeling was, we're a clear channel radio station. We were at that time. And that is a national treasure. And so we go beyond the borders of the, the suburbs of Chicago and the city of Chicago to uh, millions of people in the Midwest where we produce so much of the food and other products that we need to survive. So I got into my 1949 Blue Chrysler New Yorker and headed south to Chicago and came down here to make my first appearance on the air at WGN with Holland Engel, who was our morning news person, and uh, with... uh, Eddie Hubbard, who was our morning host, 
He was before Wally Phillips and Bob Collins and Spike O'Dell. And you know, as I go down the list of uh, names on my list that I have worked with during my time here in Chicago, my golly, I have been blessed with the opportunity to work with great people. And certainly I have to thank Bill Mason and John Almberg and uh, Max Armstrong. And I do have to thank... The lady who was our producer for 35 years, many of you met her at county fairs and farm progress shows because she was always along with Max and me to uh, do the broadcasts from wherever we were doing the broadcast. But Lottie Kearns, 35 years, she was producer, still a good friend. We don't talk as often as we did, but uh, I do want to thank her and the many other people who made what I do a lot easier to do. So thank you for that. And again, I won't have time to respond to all of your emails because I think I've got about 200 so far. But thank you for thinking of me and thank you for being a part of my life for the past 60 years. One of those people is Mike Pearson. And uh, we're going to check in with Mike and his guest to take a look at the agricultural story for the week when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. And to help us make sense of the markets this week is Dwayne Bossy from Bolt Marketing in South Dakota. Dwayne, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, we're excited to have you. We're excited to talk about the markets because this month has been a pretty incredible month for the corn and soybean markets, though this week it seems as though we're kind of taking a little bit back. Dwayne, when you take a look at a counter-seasonal rally like this, particularly in the corn market, what should we be thinking now that prices are kind of moving back down a little bit? Well, I think producers need to be going back to their break-even spreadsheet and looking to see if they're profitable here. And like you mentioned, this is a counter-seasonal rally. To rally into the harvest, especially like soybeans, $2 just before harvest, funds getting long, usually that would scream a selling opportunity. And with harvest pressure obviously starting to set into these markets, I, I think it's a selling opportunity, Mike. Well, now you mentioned harvest pressure starting to set in. We've seen some combines start rolling. In fact, combines are working their way farther north in the Corn Belt. Dwayne, you talk to growers all across the country. What are early yield reports on corn and soybeans looking like? You know, the early soybean yields I'm seeing actually aren't that bad. Pretty close to trend line yield, I'd say. Uh, West Central Iowa, everyone's watching the yield reports from there. From what I've seen so far, actually not that bad. I mean, that was the drought area, right? We thought it was going to be pretty nasty, but yields seem to look pretty good there. Uh, the rest of the country, you know, hard to say. Uh, I'm hearing some better than expected, but what was their expectation, Mike? That's the real question. You know, about six, seven weeks ago, we thought we had a bumper crop coming. So if you say it's you know, if you're a little disappointed versus expectations from six, seven weeks ago, well, that's a different story. So I don't know. We'll see what the yields do at the end and see what January comes up with. You bet. Now, the other trend that we've been seeing throughout this month of September, it seems as though almost every day we get an announcement of export sales coming from the USDA private exporters selling more than 100,000 metric tons. That seems to be slowing down a little bit this week. Dwayne, what's the market going to make of the fact that we aren't getting this daily bullish information of uh, sales to China? 
I don't think the market's going to like it at all, Mike. I, I think we need those daily sales to keep this market going, to keep the bull fed, as we say. You know, the end of last week, there was market talk that China bought 10, 20 cargoes of U.S. beans, and, and that's a huge amount. There was even talk they canceled 10 cargoes of Brazilian beans. So I thought, wow, come early this week, we're going to see these announcements and get all excited. And we've seen the sales announcement, Mike, but maybe just a fraction of what we thought they could be last week. So I think the market's a little disappointed in that, a little profit taking, and then all of a sudden harvest pressure setting in. Now we got the funds long, maybe close to 200,000 contracts of soybeans. At what point does the chart turn and they get a little nervous and want to take some profits? So pressure could be mount on the soybean market pretty quickly. Well, now let's talk the corn market here real quick before we take a little break. Dwayne, as you look out at corn pricing, we've seen this drop back this week. Maybe some growers are getting a little on edge. Should they still be pulling the trigger on some sales here for this harvest season? Well, I think so. They can look at the carry in the market for one thing. We had July futures get up to 395, and it's kind of odd that it stops right there, right? And when you look at corn in a vacuum by itself, really, we don't have to trade above $4. We have plenty of corn unless the yield really drops or the stocks report on the 30th here really drops. And I don't think USDA is going to do that. So if you're profitable, go ahead and make some sales out there in the carry in the market. Dwayne, we talked soybeans a little bit. As you mentioned, this has been a $2 rally we saw here heading into the harvest season. Harvest is underway. What do your price targets look like? Uh, price targets got moved up to sell now, sell very fast, actually. Going into this week, I was thinking, you know, producers could actually just scale up sale if it continues to rally, because honestly, nobody knows. Maybe the rally keeps going. Maybe the funds felt like they need to rally the soybean market uh, until these China daily sales announcements stop. Well, as we saw this week, they did stop. And I, I think the market's a little nervous. And with the harvest pressure, it became a don't worry about scale up selling, just just get 50, 60, 70 percent sold, depending on your farm situation. Now, as growers are making some sales here, heading into harvest, perhaps their beans, they're going to haul to town. They, they don't want to worry about storage. Given the rally, the pace of this rally, is it worthwhile exploring re-ownership uh, positions on soybeans sold here heading into harvest? I think eventually uh, what I'm going to do or suggest is that we could have a bigger harvest pullback than, than what we're thinking. You know, we pull back, you know, Ideally, Mike, if you make a sale up here, you watch this market pull back to a 940, 925 nice retracement level, then it's a lot easier to buy them back there. But if somebody makes a sale and is really worried about missing out on the top side, you can always reown it with a call option that same day. Gotcha. Now, let's take a look at the wheat market. We haven't spent a lot of time on wheat. It rallied right in concert with corn and soybeans, and then subsequently, it's under pressure like corn and soybeans here as we uh, we round out this week. Dwayne, is the wheat market just going to live or die by what happens in the other row crop markets? I think what the wheat market is living and dying by right now is actually Russian wheat prices. Uh, they're escalating higher. That's good. That helps our rally. However, earlier in this week, we, we saw Russia get all the Egyptian wheat tender business they had out there. And I think our markets are just a little bit disappointed in that, and they should be. We tend to rally the market higher on higher Russian prices and forget that they're still priced under us by quite a ways. That's why Egypt buys from Russia, and then our market pulls back because, oh, that's right, we're still overpriced. And we still have plenty of wheat here. So I think watch for that wheat market to continue to, to follow Black Sea, Russian wheat prices. Overall, I think we've made harvest lows, though, and we should grind higher this winter. Now, one of the things that could pose a challenge to grinding higher has been the strength this past week in the U.S. dollar. We saw the dollar index climb 150 basis points week on week. Will this strength in the U.S. dollar continue to be a headwind for for row crop commodities that are exported, Dwayne? 
You know, it, it absolutely will, Mike, if it continues to grind higher. What we saw this last week is, is people in Europe start to get a little concerned about their economy. And as the euro goes lower, their economy, the U.S. dollar goes higher. And that's just what we had happen here. We're worried about coronavirus again, possible shuts downs. And I don't even want to think about that too much, but it is happening. And yeah, you're right. If the U.S. dollar goes higher as a safe haven investment, that slows our commodity bull run. So now, before we let you go, Dwayne, as we get into this next week, as growers are running for harvest, what type of things should they be keeping in mind if they're waiting for something to pull the trigger on making some sales? You know, I would tell them, probably don't wait. Look at your spreadsheet. If you like this price, just go ahead and lock it in now. Don't worry so much about missing a bull market. If you're making money, that's the name of the game, right? So I'd say just be aggressive and make some sales if you haven't done so already. If you made a lot of sales before, wait for a harvest pullback, and then you can have some re-ownership then. All right. Well, Dwayne Bussey from Bolt Marketing. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. It's six minutes before six o'clock news time. And before we get to news, I want to bring a close, close friend for several decades who's been a part of our broadcast here on WGN Radio. And uh, Max Armstrong, got to tell you, it's been a real pleasure. Well, Orion, good morning. At the end of another busy week, it seems like they all are, but that's good, isn't it? This week, I was out on a sweet potato farm. I was near Winston-Salem, High Point, North Carolina, and right out there is where Zach Smith grows sweet potatoes. Uh, Some of those produced in North Carolina, which is the number one sweet potato state in America, move into the export channels. But Zach's are all consumed locally, so I got to see right out there in the field uh, what the sweet potatoes look like as they're being pulled out of the dirt by the folks working out there. And I learned this this week. The smaller sweet potatoes tend to be sweet. Now, most of those, the very small ones, don't get marketed because consumers want a sweet potato of size. Conversely, the very big ones, and and Zach gave me a couple of sweet potatoes that had to be the size of softballs. Those very big ones are generally used, he said, by the southern ladies to make their sweet potato pie. Well, I mentioned this to Mrs. Armstrong, and she said, I've never, never made a sweet potato pie. So... I think we're going to, one of these days soon at our house, have sweet potato pie. If any of you have a great recipe uh, that you have tried and that you use on a regular basis and that people rave about for sweet potato pie, please send it to me. You can just email it to max at agbizweek.com. We want to try it out at our house. Zach pointed out to me that sweet potatoes are good for you. All right, I believe that, and I like them. I imagine many of you do, too. It's hard not to reflect on what happened on this day in history all of those years ago. Our friend David Oker, who is in the social media and tracks a lot of the history of broadcasting, posted this story from 1960, the headline of the Tribune, WGN Farm Director Named. And it pointed out that... uh, You are going to assume the position at WGN on September 26, 1960, Orion, but the announcement was made by Ward Qual, not only on the air, but the announcement was made at the heart of American Farm Power Show at Gibson City. And that brought back memories of the late Elmo Miners, one of the founders of the M&W Power Company. And I was just visiting about him the other day with our friend Bill Burnham, who farms out near Morris, who is one of the foremost historians, if not the foremost historian of the M&W Power Company and everything they made. 
in the farm equipment industry to help farmers' tractors run better. And somewhere, I have a photograph of you interviewing Elmo as a very, very young farm broadcaster, Orion. And I'm going to post that myself, I think, on Facebook and on the social media later today. But it's also interesting, so interesting, because you've reminded me of this over the years, that on the day you started at WGN was the first televised presidential debate in American history over at the CBS studios in downtown Chicago. And I think it would have been at the complex when they were on McClurg Court the evening of September 26, 1960. That was the debate between Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy. And it was interesting. If you read the history on what happened that night, most of the radio listeners called that first debate a draw or even said Nixon was the victor in that debate. But Massachusetts Senator Kennedy looked so much better on television and clearly won over the 70 million television viewers by a broad margin. So a lot of history on this date, September 26th, 1960. Orion, we hope it's a good week for you. We'll check in with you a little bit later. Have a good day. Oh, and be careful in the midst of harvest, everyone. This is a very busy time along the roads as we often advise folks, and anything can happen out there. So when you see the farm equipment, be careful. Indeed, be careful, and thank you, Max, for the memory of that debate between Mr. Nixon and Senator Kennedy back in 1960. That's almost our time here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're coming up to news time on WGN Radio Chicago.